This may sound strange, but to crime scene investigators, there's something peaceful about working with the dead. No matter how a victim's life ended, they all have a story to tell. That is, if somebody is willing to listen. For more than 30 years, Howie Ryan has been that guy. Most of that time as a state police crime scene investigator. Today, he is a crime scene reconstruction consultant and expert witness and teacher of state-of-the-art forensic techniques to law enforcement agencies worldwide. He has worked scenes you wouldn't want to experience in your worst nightmare. This podcast series will pull back the sheet on what really happens in the world of forensic investigations. It's not like what you see on TV. So hold on tight as we take a walkthrough of some gruesome crime scenes and controversial cases, many of which are too brutal for most people to imagine, and sometimes even for the experts. Join Howard Ryan and his guest experts from around the world for a no-nonsense ringside seat as they take you Under the Yellow Tape. Hey, welcome to Under the Yellow Tape, brought to you today in part by Forensic Training Source. Have you ever wondered about those that do the investigative work to ensure that crime scenes are analyzed, evidence is collected, truth is discovered, and justice is served? Or where the law enforcement professionals that protect and serve all of us find the specialized training required to do their important jobs? Forensic Training Source is the company that provides exactly that kind of training. They exist to serve those that protect and serve all of us. Forensic Training Source deploys internationally recognized experts across the United States to provide top-notch instruction in a variety of forensic disciplines. Let's face it, training budgets for the public servants that keep us safe are tight, especially when travel is required to attend quality training. Forensic Training Source has created a model for course delivery that brings training to the practitioners by mobilizing each course in order to reduce the cost for a community to obtain specialized training for their forensic professionals. Forensic Training Source has become well-known, specifically for 40-hour courses in the fields of crime scene photography, bloodstain pattern analysis, shooting incident reconstruction, and associated advanced courses. They use real scenarios, real blood, real weapons, real ammunition, and most importantly, real experts to create an interactive, dynamic learning experience for its participants. From Alaska to Florida and Maine to Southern California, the staff and instructors of Forensic Training Source have delivered training for thousands of forensic practitioners from all 50 states and numerous countries worldwide. Like myself and everyone here at Under the Yellow Tape, Forensic Training Source has a deep appreciation for those that objectively seek, find, and share truth. And for that reason, I am honored that they chose to sponsor Under the Yellow Tape podcast. For more information, check out Forensic Training Source on their Facebook page or visit them at www.forensictrainingsource.com. Hey everyone, welcome back to Under the Yellow Tape. I'm Howie Ryan. We took a couple weeks off for the Thanksgiving holiday and uh, and wanted to get some work done. You know, we got to pay a few bills here and there. So we're back and uh, we're going to try to keep it moving at a pretty good pace if we can. Other things, life and uh, jobs get in the way, but we're going to continue to push forward here. I wanted to do this week, this, this episode this week, um, I want to talk about two things in, in particular, two shootings I'm going to use as a reference point to make, hopefully make another point. Both police-involved shootings, um, and I wanna, I'm going to give you some details of each. One is relatively new, 
and the other um, was a while back and has already gone through a grand jury hearing. I want to give you the details so you understand what they are, but I also want to talk about the media's coverage of them and how they present it to you, the public. And the reason why I want to talk about that is they seemed, and they seem anyways today to have kind of, I don't know, given up on what your impression of them is. And maybe it, it's because they think you're so stupid that you don't see what they're doing. And quite honestly, there are people out there that are that stupid. They don't see what they're doing. The media tells them something and they believe it. They're sheep. And it's kind of sad. From there, after we talk about the media coverage, we'll talk a little bit about some statistics. I think they're important to wrap our head around. And these shootings are occurring, well, the ones I'm going to talk about today occurred in a, um, you know, either urban or right outside the immediate urban environment. And they got a lot of media attention. Um, Black Lives Matter, a lot of protesting. And, you know, you know the drill, the same old shit every day. Everybody wants to burn things down and, and go out and scream. And I want you all to think to yourselves, what has become the new norm? Meaning, what is even legally acceptable anymore? Forget what's on the law books, because things are just not getting enforced. But what has become acceptable? Police are involved in a use of force incident, and we're going to burn shit down. Is that like okay now? Is that just like, okay, we're good with that? Are we actually going to lock people up for this? Are we going to punish people for this? Are we just going to, you know, it's the new norm, you know, use whatever bathroom you want and all that other stupid shit. So from the media coverage, where does it go? Let's talk about what that does. And uh, because Black Lives Matter is involved and uh, Antifa or Antifa or whatever you want to call them, all these other people get involved. What is it doing? Let's talk about really, let's have an honest conversation. Everybody always talks about the honest conversations, right? But nobody really ever wants to have one. So what I'll do is, I don't know, I'll, I'll throw it out there. I'll, I'll, I'll bring it up. The black communities, how are we doing? Are we helping them? Are we hurting them? Are they helping themselves? Or are they hurting themselves? What can we do to make them better? That's kind of where this is going here. Because all of these use of force in incidences involving law enforcement most of the ones where things are getting burned down, there is a racial component that is, you know, kind of thrust forward by the media. They have to bring it up. Everybody, you know, what was the officer white or black? Was the shooter white or black? Or, you know, what kind of effect is this having? Both on society, what kind of effect is it having on the criminal investigation phase? That's really where we're focused on under the yellow tape. But, you know, you can't really talk about one without bringing up the other. I mean, what are we doing? And who's feeding this frenzy. It's almost like there's blood in the water and the sharks come flying in from all over. And the media is not helping at all. And I want to talk a little bit about what they say and how they handle it. And then you get into people like, or agencies, businesses, I should say. And it's important we say business. Like the National Football League. What are they doing? How are they participating? What conscious business decisions are they making? And have they have they um, kind of claimed themselves as an institute for social justice? And if so, what qualifications do they have to do that? Because when I tell you what they're up to now, you're going to say they have none. Other businesses that are out there doing the same thing. So I want, I want to talk about a couple of these things and race through it fairly quickly. We'll get to some points. Uh, 
two shootings in particular. One is the shooting of a young man by the name of Casey Goodson Jr. All right. This happened on December 4th this year, right? It's, it's recent. This one is not adjudicated yet. This is still a pending investigation, but it's been in the news. It's a big issue, you know, and it happened in the city of Columbus, Ohio. <clears throat> I'll give you a quick backstory. In, um, there's not going to be a, a resolution to this because it's still pending, but I w- really what I want to do is kind of walk you through what the public has been, well, what, what happened, then what the public's been told, and then where it's going from here. So there was a deputy sheriff's officer by the name of Jason Meade. He was assigned to a U.S. Marshals Fugitive Task Force, and they were out doing what they normally do. They were looking for fugitives, people with active warrants. They were going to go get them. And they were in this area in uh, Columbus, and they were looking for whoever. And it wasn't, it was not uh, Casey Goodson. They were looking for somebody else. Uh, How they how the law enforcement encounters Casey Goodson is, and it's, t- it's com- not a hundred percent clear whether it was just off deputy Meade or others that saw an individual going down the street, brandishing a firearm. That's what has been said. They choose to go engage that person. And this, there is statements, uh, early on by several people that, uh, Mr. Goodson had got to the door of his residence and there was a verbal back and forth between Mr. Goodson and the deputy. There have been witnesses that said they heard a screaming back and forth. Um, the deputy tells him to drop the weapon. He then says, apparently, that Mr. Goodson pointed the weapon at him. Now, it's important to understand, and as, as you look at the investigation, it's very, this is a very critical point. Uh, deputy Meade's in, in plain clothes, all right? The, the marshal service, uh, you know, they don't really wear uniforms. And... Anybody on their task force, they're blending in. They're trying to go get fugitives, so they're not, you know, walking around with a billboard on them. Maybe Goodson, I don't know, didn't realize he was a police officer. I'm sure Meade's going to say he identified himself. Whatever happened at this point is where the investigators are really going to have to concentrate. Was he ID'd as a police officer? Was there a weapon? Now, I will tell you, there was a weapon recovered near the body of Goodson. Meade fires his, his firearm and strikes Goodson, killing him. Now, in the world of criminal investigation, if Goodson pointed the gun at him, you have to expect the response is going to be something similar. The, the officer is going to defend himself. What's going to happen in this case is they're going to look very hard at the initial encounter. What did you see? What made you go and uh, have contact with Mr. Goodson? And then did you identify yourself as a law enforcement officer? Because if he did, Goodson's required by law to comply. Now, also very important to know, Casey Goodson, apparently from what we're told in open media sources, is uh, a licensed, is licensed to carry a concealed weapon or, or licensed to carry a weapon in the state of Ohio. Now that tells me that he doesn't have a criminal history if there's a background check was done even remotely correctly. But what it doesn't give him permission to do is point that weapon at a police officer if he, in fact, knew he was a police officer. Now, if Goodson felt he was threatened and this person in civilian clothes was not a police officer, well, he has a right to stand his ground. And he may have been in fear for his life. I don't know. He's dead. He's not going to be able to tell us that. They're going to have to rely on the statement of the officer, which is going to piss the community off. 
because there are no other witnesses, and I want to talk about that a little bit. The grandmother of, of Mr. Goodson, she gave a statement, which, which actually was pretty, uh, what, what I thought was pretty telling. A lot of times on 911 calls or initial statements, people do, they might give, they'll, they'll blurt something out. Sometimes you might call it an excited utterance or whatever it may be, but sometimes they'll, t they'll say something. A lot of times that's the most truthful part of their statement because as time goes by, and more information is in their head, and more other you know more more other people are speaking to them. They change. They change their opinion. They change their mindset, and sometimes they change what they're going to say. So his grandmother, she said, "My grandson just got shot in the back when he came in the house." She told the nine one one operator. He went to the dentist, or somewhere, and came home. All I know is there a bunch of there's a bunch of gunfire, and she says he's not a bad kid. He doesn't have a police record. He works. I don't know what happened. Okay. All of this is pretty straightforward. She's not screaming. She's not yelling. She basically is confused. Like, what the hell just happened? But the last thing she says is, I don't know what happened. Remember that. Because somebody's going to surface and give a story that I'm an eyewitness. I'll tell you why. Because somebody's going to be unhappy that nobody really was an eyewitness. So somebody's going to say something at some point. They always do. And there's a lot of uh, salacious little lines being given out. The lawyers are lining up for the Goodson family, right? As, as happens in many of these cases. And, uh, you know, uh, Mr. Goodson's mother, she, 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 has, um, she has a statement. Tamala Payne is her name. She comes out. They're given a badge to serve, to protect us. But because of the color of a black man's skin, they are not protected. They become targets. Now, that is her opinion. I don't. I, I don't know what the basis for her opinion is. You know, some people may honestly say they believe, well, it's years of, you know, oppression. I don't know that Miss Payne has been oppressed, but maybe she's angry or maybe she's just watching too much CNN because that statement she gave to Don Lemon or Lamon from CNN, another crack news reporter, another angry man. But the uh, officer, this is not a rookie. He's 17 years on the job, former U.S. Marine, served overseas, deployed fairly squared away. He's on a SWAT team. He's on the county sheriff's SWAT team, and he's been selected for the U.S. Marshals Service uh, Task Force, which often pulls in officers from uh, different areas because they know the area, they know the players, and, and things like that. It's actually pretty good. It's a, The marshals are a very squared away agency. Now, what ends up happening after this is the media starts to part, get involved immediately. The interesting thing is, from the investigative standpoint, there's a bit of a shit fight going on, right? It's, it, it's like a monkey shit fight in a zoo. They're just throwing things at each other. The, the law enforcement officers I'm talking about, they're, they're just, they're not, they're not kind of getting along here. And I'm going to explain why that happens. You have multiple agencies involved. Now, I've done a bunch of these where multiple agencies are involved. And there's always uh, the circling of the wagons. Not amongst the guy they just shot, necessarily, but it's amongst each other. In other words, who's going to handle this? So I have a county sheriff's deputy shoots while assigned to a marshal's task force. And right now we have Columbus City Police Department investigating it. You might say, wow, man, this is like, how did this all happen? Well, this is how it happens. While that officer is assigned to the federal task force, if he fires his weapon in the course of his duty while on that task force doing task force business, it becomes a federal investigation. At that point, the FBI might get involved. They might hand it off to a state-level agency or something like that. 
But there's going to be a decision made at the federal level on the investigation. The, uh, the U.S. Marshal for the region, I believe his last name is Tobin, he comes right out and says, well, yeah, but we were done for the day, so uh, he really had nothing to do with us at the time, so uh, you're on your own. Not a bold move, but he also said, oh, shooting looks justified. So here's, in one, in one side of his mouth, he's saying, yeah, we didn't find our target. We were wrapping up for the day when, when apparently they saw this kid brandished a weapon. But that wasn't Marshall stuff. So take it easy. But on the other side of his mouth, he says, but it looks pretty justified. Okay, well, here's the thing. Either you're all in or you're not. So if you're investigating it, then you can make a comment. If you're not, stay out of it. And what he did is he punted. He he just handed that off. They wanted nothing to do with it. To them, it's like, oh, man, that's not our target. How are we going to explain it? Blah, blah, blah. You're done. So they hand it over to Columbus PD. Well, the sheriff is like, hey, wait a minute. You mean the sheriff himself, the elected official. He's saying, well, my guy's on your task force. What you, what's going on? Well, the, the county sheriff is not going to investigate their own guy in this jurisdiction. So they need somebody else to do it. What happens in the city of Columbus? Columbus police then get it. They have a critical incident response team that comes out and does these things. Three days after the incident, they ask the Ohio BCI to take the investigation. They turn it down. Now, there's a reason for this, but I'm going to tell you right now, the way this looks where, where these agencies, multiple agencies, now the fourth agencies are involved and one doesn't want to do it. The marshals want to get rid of it. People are going to look at this and go, uh-oh, something's wrong. This may not have been a good shooting because nobody wants to have it. Everybody's running. Everybody's running. Well, I'm going to defend the Ohio BCI here. Three days later, there's no more scene. People may have been interviewed, may not have been interviewed. What you're trying to do is hand them a leaky bag of shit. And they said, no, thank you. Now, when I, when I defend them, I'm going to defend them further. I know some of these people in Ohio BCI. I get a chance to instruct at uh, a very sought-after academy, the National Forensic Academy at the University of Tennessee. Top-shelf people down there, great program. And they bring in law enforcement agencies from around the country. And Ohio BCI sends a lot of their people there. And I can tell you from personal experience, and I've had this conversation with other instructors down there too. The Ohio Bureau of Investigation, Criminal Investigation, is a state-level agency. They are extremely squared away. I am very impressed by them. Every time we go down and one of them is in the class, I am very impressed. I have not met one from that agency that is even marginal. They're really good. Very, very smart people, very engaged. They know what they're doing. They also knew better than to get involved in this three days later. This was not, hey, this is a bad shooting. This is, hey, you've already started it. I don't even know what you've done. You're already doing it. There's no reason for us to be involved. You accepted it. Now it's yours. That was the right move. The sheriff's pissed because the marshal basically just bailed on him. Now, Columbus PD, they're good to go. They're like, all right, we're going to do it. So, but the public perception of this is not good, but... It's for the wrong reason. There's, no, there's, there's nothing here that I see that has been mishandled yet. It's just that everybody kind of wanted to figure out who's, who in the pecking order was going to get this investigation. This is not uncommon. All right? So, as it is now, as Columbus PD is investigating this incident. That's pretty much the, what the public's been told so far. 
Now, let's talk about the media component of this one before we move to the next shooting. CNN, who's usually a disgrace, continues in their failed attempt at journalism. Of course, they have a platform, so they'll put out story after story after story. But the reason I, I beat the shit out of them as much as I do is because they're so swayed. They're so opinionated. And that's really horrible in a profession that's main principle is supposed to be objectivity, truthfulness, right? Be objective, tell the story. They don't do that. They don't know how to do it anymore, I don't think. So they come out with um, multiple different articles. You know, every day there's something on it because it's hot, it's new, it's crazy. This one is titled, uh, Here's What We Know About the Casey Goodman Jr. Fatal Police Shooting. They go through a few paragraphs. They give some quotes from family members and um, they get right to the chief. They give a, 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 listen to this. They say, the shooting is the latest in a series in recent years involving young black men and teens in a city that has grappled with racial inequalities for generations. Over the summer, Columbus also saw demonstrations after George Floyd's death, which wasn't even in their state. The Columbus Division of Police is handling this investigation into the shooting. And the U.S. Attorney's Office in Southern Ohio has opened a civil rights investigation. I don't know why they would agree to do that other than to just appease the public because there's nothing out yet that would indicate a civil rights violation. So I don't know why they would jump on that. But you know what? They're going to do that anyways. They do that a lot. Columbus Police Chief Tom Quinlan, who I'm going to talk about again in a little while, on Thursday vowed for an independent, meticulous, unbiased investigation with a singular focus, getting to the truth of what happened to Casey Goodson and why. It's a good statement, right? His statements later aren't so good, but that one's good. So they say, but more than a week after the shooting, many questions remain. Well, here's the thing, folks. They don't necessarily remain for the investigators, but CNN's just saying they remain because they don't know it. I've said this before, shootings of any kind, the investigation is not done in a fishbowl. This is not a spectator sport. As much as the public wants transparency, they get it, but they get it at the end. You can't do this as a public show. It doesn't really wor work that way. And they go through, it's, it's multiple pages into their original uh, article that they talk about Goodson even having a gun. And before they said they had a gun, they never mention in their original reports that he allegedly pointed it at him, that that's what the officer was saying. They just, they want you to know that he's a licensed weapon holder, which is important. It is important. But at this point, I don't know that it's doing anything more than trying to sway people's opinion before they even know what it, what it comes down to. There was no body cams on the officers at the time. And um, that's another issue that they're talking about. I don't think the marshals use them. And Nerf Task Force certainly does. You can't be an undercover person walking around with a body cam strapped on your chest and probably be very effective. There's been a bunch of talk, again, several pages in where they start talking about, they first tell you that he's a, a licensed pistol holder or a weapon. He can carry a weapon. Quinlan says some other things here that I think are not so bad. We hear your cries for more information and more answers. We hear your demands for justice. This is a, the difficult reality is, he says, very often in police work, information and answers are, necess, are necessarily unavoidably slow to come. That's true because the investigation has to unfold and there's certain things and legal procedures that have to be followed and, 
It doesn't always happen overnight. In his statement, he understood the painful history, the pain, the painful history evoked by Goodson's death. You have uh, Columbus City Council President Shannon Hardin. Casey's case is just another reminder that the work continues and that racism is everywhere. There's a pause here for a reason. I want you to absorb that. Racism continues. So you just called Deputy Meade a racist. You don't know shit about him. You don't know anything about the case. But we're, we're going to throw racism around. This is, this is the reason I'm doing this episode. This is the shit that has to stop. There may be nothing racist about this. Okay, and she says, racism is everywhere. We have to do the hard work as a nation to root it out. Okay. Uh, yeah, we do. If there's racism somewhere, we have to root it out. But why would you include it here? What if we find that Mr. Goodson pointed the gun at the police officer? Is that racism? I don't know. You tell me. Racism is a part of this country, part of our cities, and a part of, what, of, of just who we are. And we can't allow the challenges and how ubiquitous it is to overwhelm us in terms of where we go from here. Well, in, in a general terms, yes, you're correct. But you're, you're putting this case into that, and you have no foundation for that, which makes you an irresponsible, unprofessional council member. One of the, um, so you go down further, there's more activists staying involved. They come out like roaches, right? The lights go off, the food's out on the counter, here come the roaches now. Hannah Abdur-Rahim, an activist and co-founder of the Black Abolitionist Collective of Ohio. She said, the city officials just wanted to pacify the black community. That's all. She says, Columbus, Columbus, Ohio is not a safe place for black citizens. Okay, let's just take that part of the statement and hold it aside. Columbus, Ohio is not a safe place for black citizens. But she says, because we are continuously being targeted by the police. That's why she's saying, I'm assuming Hannah is a woman. That's why they're saying it's not safe. You're saying the city streets of Columbus is not safe because the police are targeting black people. That's your statement. Also said that city officials should consider abolishing the existing police department and find alternatives for patrolling the community. Shouldn't say what they are. Shouldn't have any ideas about what those alternatives might be. Just get rid of them because they're the problem. Remember I said that because we're going to come back to some, some statistics actual factual statistics, not emotional garbage. It shows here that Abdur Rahim was also hit with rubber bullets and from, from being out at other riots. It's always nice when they participate in the riots. So Goodson tests, Goodson's death, CNN says, is a painful reminder that other fatal police shootings in the city of almost 900,000 people. Among the black males killed by Columbus police in recent years were Julius Tate, 16 years old in December of 18. Kareem Ali Nadir Jones, 30 and 17. Tyree King in September of 16. And Henry Green in six, also in 16. And when you look at those numbers, you say, wow. Okay. Here's a, let's just go through them real quick. Let's go back through who they said. Julius Tate, 16 years old, shot in 2018. He was shot by an undercover officer during a buy bust. Okay, so he's dealing dope. They go to buy it from him. And he decides, in the midst of it, to rob the undercover officer. Pulls out a gun, points it at him, and is shot by another officer. Okay. They charged his girlfriend, Maisonique Saunders, with felony robbery and felony homicide. 
the cry from CNN and the media and everybody else was, and especially from the, from the townspeople who were pissed, you're just, you're trying to cover this up by charging her. No, 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 no. No, they shot him for a reason. That's pretty much not in dispute. They charged her with felony homicide because she's part of the robbery that ended up in his death. So what they're saying is the, the, the shooting of him is justifiable. It happened because you and him decided to rob somebody. You just didn't know it was an undercover cop and another one was going to shoot you. That's called bad luck and bad decision making. That's one of the four that they're saying is so tragic. Kareem Ali Nadir Jones, 30 years old. This is on a body cam video, folks. They're chasing him down, trying to grab him. He reaches for the pistol, which is as plain as day in his waistband. And he gets smoke-checked right there in the street. Well, the body cam tells that one. He's another one you want to martyr, though? I'm going to jump ahead to Henry Green, 23, in, back in 2016. Had a gun in his hand, pointing it. They gave him multiple verbal commands to drop the gun. He didn't. They fired. You start to see the guns, the guns, the guns in the inner cities. These are not lawfully purchased firearms, folks. These are not Second Amendment advocates. Tyree King, this is the one that jumped out at me. He's 13 years old. They get a 911 call. person on the 911 call says, man, put a gun on a white dude. That's the statement. They come out. The victim, the interview, said he was robbed of 10 bucks by a black kid. And he even kind of said he was a boy wearing a hoodie. He pull, then he pulled out on the police a replica BB gun with a laser. And he got shot. These are the people that are saying, yeah, but what about all these? Okay, well, what about them? Don't just give me their names and say they were killed. Give me the details of why it happened. What did they do? What actions did they do to precipitate the reaction that you're so upset about? Nobody ever wants to talk about that. They never want to talk about all the crazy shit that goes on on the front end. They just want to talk about, oh, please kill another black kid. There's a lot of violence here. And somebody's going to have to deal with it. Because otherwise, you're going to have lawlessness. They went on and on. That, that's one of CNN's article. The Associated Press came out, and they gave a whole thing on it, too. Here's, a, here's a, a preliminary autopsy report of a black man killed by an Ohio deputy last week. He showed clear signs of him being shot in the back multiple times. But they never said that. They said he was shot in the torso. So whatever that report is that you think you got, and I can tell you, uh, preliminary autopsy reports, they're not really all that. They don't come out that much. They're really not a, a final report. They might give a statement of something, but there's not, they're not giving cause and manner of death in these. They're not giving a breakdown of wound tracks or, or, or where bullets impacted the person's body. They really don't do that. So I love when they say that all the time. Well, the preliminary autopsy report said, no, no. You got to remember, there's one really report of record from a medical examiner, and it is his, his, initial, his, his actual autopsy report talking about all of the steps they did in the autopsy and what they found and the opinions and, and conclusions that they made. And they're very comprehensive. Medical examiners are a critical component to these investigations. Sean Walton, he's an attorney. He's one of the one multiple that have come out now. Casey was not a suspect in any way, shape, or form. No, he wasn't. I, I, no, I don't think anybody disputes that. And, until, and if in fact, he pointed the weapon at somebody. He says Casey was just someone who was killed on his kitchen floor. I don't think he was killed on his kitchen floor. I think it was outside. Simply because he was black. And his skin was weaponized. Man, that's like, man, that's like movie line shit right there. You weaponized his skin. But he's a lawyer, so what do you expect? He's going to sensationalize everything. He wants to talk about what they did. But another preliminary autopsy results. Gunshots to his torso. 
but at least the, the at least the Associated Press is honest enough to go. The final results aren't expected for at least three months. Okay, that means you don't know shit. So maybe we shouldn't have all these reports out. Four shots were fired from what sounded like an automatic weapon. One caller said, "Mr. Goodson pointed his gun at Deputy Meade," said Mark Collins, the attorney for the deputy. So you see, here's the other side now. There has been confirmation that our client gave verbal verbal commands for Mr. Goodson to drop the gun. So if he's saying there's been confirmation, I'm going to assume what he means by that is there's been witness statements that somebody heard him say drop the gun. If that's the case, this changes things quite a bit from what the public in the area wants to believe. Now, Chandra Brown, another attorney, not sure where she came from, but we got a lot of attorneys here. She comes right out and says, no one in the family saw Casey brandishing a weapon. Well, on the 911 call, Grandma told you we didn't see anything. So that's really not surprising. And they want you to know it would be out of his character to brandish any weapon. One of um, the problems is, is the statement sometimes that, that supervisors or politicians or whatever it is feel the need to give. They're getting a lot of pressures and they feel the need to get in front of that microphone and say something. And sometimes when they do that, it doesn't help matters. This is Quinlan, who gave some pretty good statements early on. He then comes up with this. We understand the trust gap born of centuries of injustice against communities of color in our country. And yes, right here in our hometown. What's that? What is that saying? What's Quinlan doing right there? We understand the trust gap born of centuries of injustice against communities of color in our country. And yes, right here in our hometown. So Chief Quinlan, let me run this by you. This is your town. This is the one you're in charge of. It's an agency that you came from. You, you weren't parachuted in from somewhere else. You're not on that chief circuit, that bullshit chiefs of police circuit with all of their stupid friggin' master's degrees and everything running around a country, getting dropped in to fix things, which they never fix. You were there. You came up through, right? You were a lieutenant, you were a captain, you were all these things, right? Deputy chief, I think, at one point. You're basically saying there's, there's injustice against community of color in your town, right there in your hometown that you're in charge of? That's interesting. Maybe you should quit. Maybe you're not doing your job. That's just a thought. I mean, if you're going to stand up in front of a microphone and say, centuries of injustice happened right here in our hometown, is it still happening in your hometown? Or have you fixed it? If you fixed it, then you should be good. But if you didn't, you shouldn't be saying things like this. This is one of those things where he felt the need to skid up and, and kind of massage people. You know what I mean? It's interesting that there's been multiple calls from the white and the black communities within Columbus for him to resign, for him to get out. The other thing they're looking to, to get rid of is the mayor. They said he's not done enough. I don't know about all the mayor's statements, Mayor Andrew Ginther, but if you look at his bio... His claim to fame here is, after college, he went to study peace and conflict resolution in Northern Ireland. And then when he came back, he taught nonviolence in Atlanta. How's that working out for you? You might want to go for a remedial class. All right, conflicting narratives again in uh, Columbus, Ohio. They're, they're, all, they're all kind of cranked up, and they're, and they're doing the thing. They're saying he went to a dentist appointment and then went to Subway to pick up some sandwiches and then came home. So this is kind of where we get into, I'm going to come back because I want to give you a statistic here that I believe it was CNN um, that, that, that brought this up. Because one of the things they brought up was, was a, um, 
a statistical analysis about how many use of force incidents took place in their county. And they love to give out, they, they sometimes love to give out statistics. But it's funny because they only want to give statistics that bolster their opinion. And the, and the crazy thing about that sentence that I just said is the media is not supposed to have an opinion. They're supposed to assume you're smart enough to make your own. And they're supposed to just give you whatever factual material they can. Maybe give some statements, let some people speak, and blah, blah, blah. So they came out and said, in 2018, police statistics show 50, almost 55% of Columbus Police Department's use of force incidents targeted black people. That's a terrible, misleading statement, first of all. Not the number. I have no problem with the number. You use the word targeted. You make it sound like they left the police station in the morning and said, we're going to go target us some black people. See, that's, that words matter. And what they're doing is they're framing your opinion because you're too stupid to figure it out on your own in their, in their, in their mind. They say, so use of force, 55% of their use of force sentences targeted black people who compose less than 29% of the population. See, they'll throw that out to you. And they want you to be appalled by that number. They, uh, they've criticized the police department in the past, their record of stopping black motorists. Between 2012 and 2016, Columbus police officers made 84% more stops per resident in neighborhoods that were at least three quarters black. Why is that? Now, some are just going to immediately say, well, it's because it's racist and they want to stop black people. So the statistics, when they want them to be there, they'll give them to you. I'm going to circle back after I talk about the next shooting and I'm going to revisit statistics and you're going to want to sit down and listen to that part. So the second shooting I want to talk about, before we go further on, is something a little different. This has been investigated. This has already gone to a grand jury. This particular incident happened in the city of Indianapolis. The individual here was, I had to look this up. His, the spelling of his name is D-R-E-A-S-J-O-N. No, I've never even heard that name before. Uh, I, I'm thinking they're going to say it's Dre Sean because his nickname is Sean. They call him Sean for short, so I'm going to say Dre Sean. He gets involved in a high-speed chase. The police go to pull him over. And in a weird twist here, the people that went to pull him over were the actual chief of police and the deputy chief of police. I'm assuming in an unmarked car. They try to pull him over. He takes off. In the midst of the chase, Mr. Reed, Dre Sean, he whips out his phone. And he starts live streaming the incident. Nothing says stupid like filming yourself in the commission of the crime and putting it on a live stream. Filming it's stupid. Live streaming is like a special kind of stupid. Unless, of course, you don't think you're going to make it through this and you just want to go out with a bang. They, he call, they call in marked cars. Standard protocol. I want the mark car with the audible, you know, the, the sirens and everything. They're going to take primary in the chase. They chase them off an exit. They terminate the pursuit because it becomes dangerous. They pick him up again later, and there is an incident where he ends up getting shot and killed. Okay, and that's back in May. Now, this case has gone to a grand jury. The interesting thing in this case is Drayshawn has a gun. Drayshawn Reed fires two times at the police officers. He shot at them, folks. 
I mean, what do you think is going to happen? You don't need to have emotion, political outrage, be a BLM activist or a terrorist or whatever the hell you want to call yourself to understand that you can't do that. And if you do, there's going to be something coming back at you. That's just the way it works from the beginning of time in this country, beginning of law and order. You shoot at the cops, they're going to probably defend themselves. And a lot of times that means shooting back at you. Now, that's part of it. But let's get into it a little bit more. So that he starts live streaming the video as he's going, right? He's screaming. They're, they're talking him over the PA. He's screaming F you back at him in the car. And then he goes to ditch the car and he's reaching out for people on the live stream. Hey, somebody get my, come get my stupid ass. Come get me, come get me, right? He pleaded for any one of the 4,000 people on his Facebook Live to come get him after they called off the chase. In the meantime, though, when they, they, they picked up the chase again, now he's in a foot pursuit. They deployed a taser. Now, I guess they didn't get a good hit on the taser and he didn't go down. After the foot chase and the taser, he gets shot. There's an exchange of gunfire. Now, this is not Indianapolis investigating this, you know, solely. There's other people in here. I, I believe the state police got involved and did an investigation. And we'll talk to their... I mean, we'll, we'll see what they had to say here. Uh, I'll read what they had to say here in a minute. So it becomes even more when, when, this, when this case unfolds. A lot of times I don't tell you about past indiscretions of these people because it's a past incident, right? It's not allowed in court normally until a sentencing phase. So I, don't, I try not to bring them up if I don't have to. But in this particular one, it becomes very important. It becomes part of this investigation. There was a uh, special prosecutor named Rosemary Corey. And... Um, she, she talked about the incident. She, she gave a, pretty good state, a couple of pretty good statements here. She said, I'm a mother of two black boys, and I, don't, I know I don't know how Mrs. Reed, uh, Mr. Reed's mother feels. So she's saying, I can't, I can't tell you how she feels. She just lost her son. But I am a mother of two boys, black boys, she says. I am also very empathetic to Officer Mercer. I know that had to be a difficult position to be in. So all the way around, like I said, no one wins. So Mercer is the officer that ends up shooting Drayshawn Reed. Well, that's one of the first times I've seen a DA come out and say, I'm also very empathetic to the officer. It's like she's saying right out front to you, look, he did what he had to do here. This is a, this is a no-win situation. And she said it right in the end. And like I said, no one wins. Now, she said, we appreciate the careful analysis and review of this matter legally and reasonably based upon the totality of the circumstance. I'm sorry, that was by John Kausman, who represents the officer. There are, of course, no winners when an officer is required to use deadly force in a tense uncertain and rapidly evolving situations. That's a great line. It's also true. I've investigated enough of these to know they are all of those things. They are tense. They are uncertain. They, they, they happen fast, rapidly evolving. And then we have plenty of time to sit down and pour a cup of coffee and review it and tell everybody what they did right or wrong. So it's not easy for the person involved. They don't know. They like to say, we don't know who shot first. How about I don't give a shit who shot first? That, that's something people got to get their head around. If you think for a minute that a police officer has to wait to be fired upon, we're not there yet, thank God. I hope we never get to that point. But if there's a gun and, and you're waving it at me, uh, I'm probably not going to wait for you to crack, crank a round off to defend myself or defend others. So I like they said that. That's when the gunshots are fired, although the, we're not clear who shot first. It doesn't matter who shot first. After the police stopped the pursuit, believing Reed to be a danger in life of life and property, Mercer continued to follow Reed, though although not at a high speed. 
Now, they also like this. They love this, too. How many rounds did the police officer? He fired 13 in this case, folks. Now, some people are like, wow, that's a lot. Not when people are moving. It's really not. We went through this before on other episodes. Try to hit a moving target. It's not that easy. Now, Heron is, I believe, um, I'm not sure whether he's with the state police or whether he is with Indianapolis police. But um, they said police analyzed Reed's phone. Now, this is where it gets interesting. This is where I talk about a little bit of his past. And in his text thread, they found that he's involved in two other drive-by shootings. So they asked the uh, Indianapolis um, Metro PD for all the reports of the drive-by shootings, and Evanson found casings from those shootings matched the sh- the, those from Reed's gun, basically implicating him in other drive-by shootings. So you have two things, not just one, not the casings from the gun, where he actually fired the gun, probably trying to kill somebody, but it's on his text thread of his phone. He's talking about it like a moron. That, that's, a big, that's a big component of this case, folks. That's a big deal right there. He's out doing other things. This is not a good kid. Do you hear me? He's not a good kid. He's in other drive-by shootings, shooting at other human beings. And then when confronted by the police, he shoots at them. Remember what I just said. Because when you hear his name surface later again in this podcast episode, you're going to throw up in your mouth, especially when you hear who's bringing it up. So now police said both Mercer and Reed then fired their weapons. Indianapolis Police Chief Randall Taylor later told reporters a gun had been found um, and Reed had been shot twice, but it was uncleared when he fired. So the Indiana State Police said its investigation concluded that Reed was armed and had fired his gun twice, and the firearm was believed to have been used in two other non-injury drive-by shootings before May 6th. We get into the whole thing about, you know, nobody wins. Couchman, the attorney for um, Mercer... Officer Mercer, he says, the evidence showed that he took actions consistent with his training and more importantly, consistent with the law. That's the whole thing, folks. It's not what the media says. It's what the actual law says. So what they did was they presented this to a grand jury. And the grand jury hears all the facts and they want, then they make a decision. Is there anything here that you can move forward with a charge or was it done according to the law? And in this case, if, they, if it's not according to law, they move to indict. And if it is, they call it a no bill. In this case, it was a no bill indicating that he complied with the law. And he was in a situation where he was authorized to use deadly force. This is pretty simple. I mean, this is really a no-brainer. You shot at the cops and you got shot for it. So that's, that's kind of how that goes, bud. You can't do that shit. You play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. You're dead because of what you did. Now, that is the second one. He shot at him. I I wanted to just breeze through it real quick. Normally we go through use of force policies and stuff. I I didn't do it here for a reason. So I have two two that we just talked about, right? Goodson, pending investigation. Reed, Drayshawn Reed, done. Investigated, no build, use of force justified. The media, I just want to talk a little bit about the media. We're in trouble as a country, right? Our forefathers found it necessary to protect the media under the Constitution, freedom of the press. It's very important, and I'm a big supporter of it. I'm just not support in support of the bastardization of it. It's, it's gotten so pathetic. You can't watch it. Somebody asked me the other day, what news do you end up watching? I said, I don't watch one. I'll look, I'll research something online if I have to, to try to find some truths. 
Sometimes I'll even go to like BBC or CBC out of Canada to get an opinion on something in the U.S. because they're looking at it from outside. And believe it or not, they might actually, <laughs> might actually give a more objective view than, than ours. We can't even rely on our own news. And I'm not saying left-leaning is the problem or right-leaning. They're both at fault. You have more left-leaning media outlets than you do right, but they're both doing it. There's really nobody down the middle. And I love how the ones that, they, they know they're not, but they'll say, we're down the middle. We're fair and unbalanced and objective and blah, 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 blah. No, you're not. No, you're not. Now, brings me to my next point. Remember I said when the names come back? From a society standpoint, what are we doing? Who decides they want to become institutions of social change, social justice change? There's a lot of people out there, right? You have businesses that have caved in, running Black Lives Matter logos here and there. They don't know shit about who's in Black Lives Matter, whether they're, whether, I mean, you hear some people calling them domestic terrorists. You have other people calling them a legitimate, you know, activist group. Everybody that's listening to this is going to have their own opinion, I hope, whatever that may be. So you have, you have businesses caving in and doing this, right? The NFL, the National Football League, it all kind of started with Colin Kaepernick, right? And him kneeling down during the national anthem and how, much, how many people had pissed off. And, and, you know, they say, well, he was banished because he took a stand. Well, funny thing is he didn't take a stand. He took a knee. He was banished because he took a knee, right? Well, I don't know that that's true. I don't know if he was that good. He had a good year, one year. And then he sucked after that. And I don't think he, you know, here's the funny thing about the NFL that a lot of people forget. And his name keeps coming up. He should get a shot. Somebody's got to give him a job, right? Every year, there's a new crop of young kid athletes coming out of college. You'll get guys like Brett Favre, Peyton Manning, um, you know, Russell Wilson. These guys have longevity because they got in in the beginning. They did the right thing from the beginning. They kept their performance levels up, right? I'm not a football analyst or anything, but, and they're there for a long time because they're really good. How many a year just disappear? Because there's another crew that's going to replace them next year. Right now, I mean, we're talking about about a week before Christmas right now. And, uh, you know, you're watching them, um, the league championship games and this and that. And everybody's watching and getting ready for the Heisman Trophy. This is a new crop of, of players that are going to feed the NFL system. So when you say Colin Kaepernick still needs a thing, he's so out of it. He sucked when he left. What makes you think he's going to be any good now? We owe him a spot because he took a knee? From a football standpoint alone. Just a football standpoint. They don't owe him shit. You're done, bud. You're done. Go get a job somewhere else. Maybe, maybe be a motivational speaker. Maybe be a rebel activist. Maybe be, I don't know, be whatever you want to be. <laughs> be all you can be. But the NFL has disgraced itself at a level I have never seen. And what I'm about to talk about is the part I said is going to make you want to throw up. So they have a new little program called NFL Inspire Change. Okay. They're getting into the social activist business now. Play football. Don't be a social activist. So what they want to do is they want to put names on uniforms and on helmets or wherever they're going to put them to honor certain people. So if you go to the NFL website and you look up Inspire Change, you'll see a short video with Alvin Kamara. Kamara. I'm not sure how you say it. He's a running back. He's very good. Very good running back from the New Orleans Saints. He's quoted, he's saying, you know, with his, with his new program and Inspire Change, we want to honor the victims of police brutality. 
I don't swear a lot, folks. Are you fucking kidding me? Really? Honoring victims of police brutality. Okay, how many of them are there? And who do you know that has been one? Then they go through the name. Michael Brown from Ferguson? I think not, folks. The city, the county, the state, and the feds investigated that four or five times. Michael Brown caused his own demise. And I got to bite my tongue because he's not a good man. Everybody wants to say it is. That's where hands up, don't shoot came from. Yeah, he didn't, he didn't get shot with his hands up, folks. The next one they want to put on a helmet is Sean Brooks. Rayshard Brooks, right? Remember him? We did that in a previous episode. He's the one that fell asleep in a drive-thru because he was shit-faced. And then when they got him out, he wrestled with the police, which, by the way, you're not allowed to do. And he took one of their tasers, and then he went to run, and then he turned and he fired it at them. This is who you want to honor. The next one's Jacob Blake, right? Up in Wisconsin with the knife, Kenosha. We did one on that. We laid that out for you. Then there's probably one of, so far the most amazing is George Floyd. I mean, that he won't go away. He's getting a lot of mileage. We did the podcast. If you haven't listened to that one, I would, I would suggest you go back. He did not die from the knee on his neck. The medical examiner made it abundantly clear. He had a lethal dose of fentanyl in his system. He had no injuries to his neck. Maybe they actually didn't have anything to do with his death. Maybe he ate the fentanyl. Maybe whatever. I don't know where he got it, where he ingested it, how he did it. It doesn't really matter. That was there. And you want to give him? This is the guy that stuck a gun in a pregnant woman's stomach on a home invasion? These are the people that you want to honor. And the last one on the list, Dre Sean Reed. He shot at the police officers. If I... If I'm anybody, just a human being, well, I hear a lot of people say, if I was a white man or if I was a black man, no, no, no. If I'm just a human being, male, female, black, white, it doesn't matter. You ought to be outraged by this shit. If you sit down and crack a beer and a bag of potato chips and watch an NFL game, you need a checkup from the neck up, man. This is killing the black community. The NFL inspired change. You know what change you're inspiring? You're destroying them. Because people are going to turn away from you. And they're not going to want to change. They're not going to want to help. When this is the list of names, these are thugs. The criminal investigations have found. And by the way, folks, some of these criminal investigations have been done by white people, black people that work together, kind of like in harmony. They find the truth out. The media just doesn't tell you. You sit at home in your bubble. The American bubble. The American suburban bubble. And you listen to shit like CNN and MSNBC. And you believe everything they tell you because you're a sheep. Stop it. Get your heads out of your asses and do your own homework. When the NFL, who used, by the way, used to be a tax-exempt organization, which is, listen, man, I don't know how they pulled it off. It's brilliant. And give them credit for that. It's ridiculous, but it's brilliant. They say, these are the people. And you got a guy like Alvin Kamara coming out and saying, we're on the victims of police brutality. You're telling me these people here that I just mentioned, Michael Brown, Rayshard Brooks, Jacob Blake, George Floyd, Drayshawn Reed, are victims of police brutality? Man, we're in bigger trouble than you all might think if that's the way we're going. We are, we are one nation, right? We got to get along. But in order to get along, we have to understand sometimes that we have problems. We have to identify where our problems are. You know what I hear a lot of on TV? White privilege. I hear people talking about it all the time. I hear a lot of white people talking about it now. Right? What's that lady's, what's a kid's name? The mother just went to jail for bullshitting that her kid was like on a fucking rowing team or something. 
uh, Lori um, something or other. Well, her daughter gets on TV. She just broke her silence, you know. She, oh, she's going to break her silence. I am suffering from white privilege. Okay. Now, you're, you're suffering from parents who are jackasses. That's what you're suffering from, who would actually do this. They have the money to send you anywhere. And they, they have to spend the coin to lie. What the hell did I saw the other day? Maybe some of you have heard this. She's an, this is her job. I've heard this from a number of people. She's an Instagram influencer. What the hell is that? An Instagram influencer? I don't even know what that means. Maybe I'm an idiot. And a lot of people have told me I am. That's fine. Maybe to an extent I am. An Instagram influencer, is that a job? I mean, can you monetize it? If you can, more power too. Look, I look at the Kardashians. They're brilliant. You can make fun of them all you want, but they're brilliant. They they turned it into the biggest money-making uh, operation around, and good for them. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. So before, when I talked about statistics, and I said the media likes to put them out there, right? They like to just shove them down your throat. But they only give you the ones that they want you to hear perpetuate their storyline. We need to drive a narrative. We need to drive a story. And, and this is true, and it's, and it's evidenced by uh, numerous members of media outlets quitting and then coming out and saying, they drove the story. I mean, we couldn't tell the truth. They wanted this, this, and this, and that was it. And if we dared, you know, become objective or tell the truth, no, no, we get pulled. Story gets pulled. So they are doing it. It's not, it's not really, a, it's not a matter in dispute. Right? So let's talk about this. And I want to talk about the communities in the inner city. And I don't want to talk about them in an adversarial way. I don't want this to come across that way. I don't want to sound, I don't want anybody to listen to this podcast and say, wow, he's racist. Because I am not in any way. I know a lot of people who are friends of all around this country, all around the world. One of the, you know, one of the greatest things about this job is you get to meet people of all walks of life. And anybody that's in this line of work and law enforcement will tell you when they retire, it was a front row seat to the greatest show on earth. But we're in a tough time right now. And the police officers today have a job that was way harder than when I was there. Because it's not the crime that they have to be careful of. It's the media and it's you, the public, and what you think of them and how you treat them. They're getting shit on and they're not going to show up for you if you keep it up. So let's just talk about some of the inner cities. And I want to start this honest conversation by saying this, we have to fix it. We, all of us, I don't care whether you're a man, a woman, black, white, Asian, I don't give a shit. This has to be fixed. This is a part of our country. These are cities we should all want to go to and not have to look over our shoulder and be afraid. If you're honest with yourself, there's certain cities in your states, wherever you are, you say, I don't go there. I won't go to that side of town. Why? Well, there's a lot of shit that goes on there. But nobody really talks about it any more than that. And the media is avoiding it like the plague. So let's talk about statistics. Recent census has about 328, it's going to be 328 million people and change, 239,000. <clears> 76.3% of that is white, according to the census. White alone. 13.4% is black alone, just black, African-American, right? 13.4%. I want you to remember that number because we're going to go to the inner cities now. A lot of the inner cities have a lot of um, minority population, a lot of black, Latino, whatever it may be from different countries um, are, are, are living in inner city environments. Now, the mur- then when you get into murder, let's just talk murder because we can sit here for a month talking about all other crimes, but let's just talk murder. Of the murder in this country for whom race was known, 54.7% were black or African-American, 42.3% were white. 3.1% were other. And then there's the unknown factor that comes in there. 
This is gonna. This is the part where I, this is the part where it's gonna set like light the fuse and piss people off. But these are facts, folks. When the race of an offender was known, offender, fifty-five point nine percent were black. Fifty-five point nine percent were black. Forty-one point one percent were white, and then you still have that. Uh, race for the unknown offenders was 4,700 people, which it falls into unknown. So that, that, those numbers can fluctuate a little bit, up or down, counting those others. It's not too, too much, but it's in there. 73% of these involved firearms of the killings in 2019. Those numbers should jump out at you. 13.4% of the population is black, committing almost 56% of the murder. That's a staggering number. And it's a number nobody's talking about. And I'm bringing it up not to mock, not to criticize, not to point fingers. I'm bringing it up for the sole reason to say, we have a problem in the inner cities. And you all know it. And you've all always known it. Just nobody ever threw a number in your face. 13.4% committing 55 plus percent of the murder. Let's break that down a little bit more. Let's take of that 13.4% of the total population of African-Americans. We'll eliminate the females. Take that out. They're about seven, seven plus percent. So we're bringing it down to about 6% are male. 6% black male population is responsible for 44 to 45% of the killing, of the murder. We know anybody with a brain in their head looks at that number and goes, holy shit. But you also have to say if you have a brain in your head, 6% is all the males, black males. All the black males are not committing murder. An overwhelming majority of the male, black male community are law-abiding citizens just living their life. They have families. They have homes. They mow their grass. They go to work. They do this. They do that. They pay their taxes, just like anybody else, right? They're just men doing life, living life like they're supposed to. So what really is that number? And I don't have that answer, but I, it's not 6%, and I would... If I had to bet, I wouldn't even say it's half that. I would say it's like 1%, 1.5. I don't know. But my point is this. This is a very concentrated number of people, a very defined group of, of folks that are doing a lot of violent acts. And how do we make this better? How do we stop that cycle of violence? I'm not an expert in this field. I just wanted to start this conversation and throw these numbers at you, and make, maybe some of you are sitting in your car right now listening to this, or sitting around your desk or whatever, probably not doing the work you're supposed to be doing, listening to this, hopefully, and you're saying, holy shit, those numbers, they're, they're kind of mind-blowing. They are. But we can fix this. We can make this better. We, all of us, have to do this. Police, politicians, people, clergy, society in general. We got to do something, because this is getting out of control. But the real crime that comes after those facts, those numbers, is nobody's giving it to play. The media is spinning another narrative in another direction, creating more divisiveness, more vitriolic hatred, and more bullshit. And the sheep are following along. They're not burning wealthy black or white towns down, folks. They're burning inner cities. And nobody gives a shit because it's not your neighborhood. But it's happening. And why is it happening? Because there's a narrative and there's an emotion out there that's being spun. Now, how does this relate back to criminal investigation? It makes it very difficult. It makes it difficult because a lot of people 
that you're going to interview or that you're going to look at um, in an investigation as part, maybe witnesses, they're hostile. They're pissed. Everybody's pissed. We got to stop throwing gas on the fire here. And, uh, and we got to kind of work together. The reason that I went through this today, I think was pretty simple. Look, I gave you two shootings, two different scenarios. One's pending, one's adjudicated. But everybody's pissed about them. I talked about the media and how disgraceful they are. Really, how pathetic they are. If anybody is out there that is in college right now and going for journalism, I'm going I, I, to say this to you. You're the hope for our future in that profession. Do not do what is being done now. Have the balls, have the backbone, and have the smarts to understand what journalism really is and go do it and do it well because we need you. Our founding fathers know we needed you. They knew it. That's why they put the protections in. We're letting it get bastardized. Then we went on to the NFL. They're, they're just one. The NBA, they're all doing a baseball, <clears throat> soccer. They're all, they're all running those little ad logos because they all chicken shit it out is what they did. In other words, to say, oh, look, I don't know enough about this organization or that organization. I'm not putting their name up. They may be really good or they may be fucking terrorists. I don't know, but we're not doing it. We're running a business here. But nope, they caved in because they're cowards. You hear me? Cowards. So you see what they're doing. You see the people they're honoring. You're not honoring anybody by doing that, folks. You're slapping the minority community in the mouth by honoring scumbags like Drayshawn Reed. He shot at the cops. He led him on a chase. He's in drive-by shootings. You want to stick his name on a helmet? Really? I've seen some of the NFL players with their names on the helmets. And so, you know, quite honestly, some of the people, I would expect it. The NFL has actually employees in their security division that monitors gang activity. How do I know this? I worked in New Jersey. We had the Meadowlands. We still have it, MetLife Stadium. We have two NFL teams play there. They monitor gang activity. And their biggest fear is in the offseason how many players go back to their gang-affiliated friends. Hey, listen, they're their friends. What's the where they grew up? But now they're going back with notoriety and a fistful of cash, and they get themselves in trouble. Okay? We've done a couple of investigations right here where professional athletes have gotten jammed up. Well, you're not helping them. You're not helping them make the right decisions. And you're not helping the public look at your league as a leader. You think you are, but you're making a critical mistake. And the public is watching, folks. Your viewership is down. Your merchandise sales, I don't know how they are. I actually hope they're down. I hope you take a huge hit. You know, because a lot of times it's dollars and cents that, that make people wake up and say, hey, what are we doing wrong? You chose a side, and you're not supposed to do that. You're a football. Here's something else. I want to finish with this. You're a professional athlete, or you're a singer, rock star, pop star, rap star, whatever it may be. Actor. How about Hollywood actors? Let's not, let's not leave them out. You're entertainers, okay? That's it. That's all. You're an entertainer. You're a court jester. Dance for me. Play. Play your game. Sing your song. Nobody gives a shit about your political views. If I pay $100 to come see or you sing in a concert, I don't want 15 minutes of your political rhetoric, okay? Unless you've been a president of a country or you've done something or you're a senator and you have some ba basis for it, shut up. Just sing. That's it. Entertain us. Get back to what you're doing and everybody stay in their lane. That's all I'm saying. I hope this opened your eye. I hope it actually starts an honest conversation. I'm not taking shots at anybody here. I threw out some facts. I threw out some things that should, should actually surprise and make, kind of make you sick to your stomach. But we got to wake up, okay? 
We got to get our mitt in the game, get our mitt and get in the game. And uh, we got to stick together, all of us, everybody. And um, like I always say, we're not here to change your mind. We're just asking you to open it. Just open your mind. Make your own decisions. You're smart. Don't follow the media. They're going to run you right into a wall. All right? Everybody take care. Be safe. Have a great holiday. Whatever holiday it is you, you are celebrating, have a great one. Be safe. And we will talk to you soon.